0: If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the uh, tiny book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, just reading verses 13 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. So 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 13, says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope we believe that jesus died and rose again and so we believe that god will bring him will bring with jesus those who have fallen asleep according to the lord's own word we tell you that uh, we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the precious gift of your word. And, God, for the church in which we can celebrate together the truths of your word, be challenged together by the truths of your word, and try to live out together the truths of your word in our community. Help us, God, to know you more. Teach us, God, your word and your ways. And, God, help us to celebrate who you are, our risen Lord, and that you are coming again for us, for those who put their trust in you, and help us, God, to uh, to share your gospel story with our community. Help us, God, to live out your love and grace in such a way as to draw people to you and to your saving mercies. And God, just be glorified through all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we've been talking over the last several weeks, some about what we believe as the church. And it's important that we... Uh, kind of firm up uh, what we believe and we recognize the, uh, the differences, sometimes even among Christian churches and different denominations, and and what we believe with our church uh, on, on different doctrinal issues, uh, such as uh, salvation and grace and things like that. Um, and we're concluding the series today with uh, talking about the end for us. Now, uh, the end, so to speak, as far as uh, the uh, the world has concept in that what happens after this life here is is over, uh, when our, our earthly uh, shell is all that's left. What happens to us uh, as as people? What happens to us as uh, those who are created in God's image? And so we want to talk some about uh, the reality of of heaven and uh, the reality of hell, about uh, the new heaven, new earth, uh, the creation and. Uh, kind of our our final state. So what uh, heaven and hell and uh, what happens beyond uh, this physical life. A lot of people in Christian circles today talk a lot about what happens beyond this life, uh, this physical life. And in fact, some of the biggest arguments in churches for the last hundred, well, actually a few hundred years have been over this very topic. What happens beyond this life? Is heaven for real? What does heaven look like? Is hell real? And what is, heaven, or what is hell going to be like? Is there really going to be a, a great day of judgment? And what will that be like? Uh, is there going to be a new heaven and new earth? And what is that going to be like? And uh, when is that all going to take place? And churches for generations have have argued back and forth over how this is going to take place. And people have come up, come up with their own ideas of how it's going to take place. And uh, people have said... oh well, uh, Obama must be the, the Antichrist, or the Pope is the Antichrist. And we hear all these different uh, versions of what people believe that the, uh, uh, the prophecies in, in Daniel and in, uh, in Revelation stuff must be all about r- recognizing that the, time is, the end of time is coming and Jesus Christ is going to return soon. Well, I think we have to be very careful as a church to, uh, to not create our own story of how things are going to happen, but to make sure that we follow what the Scripture teach in, uh, in how things are going to happen. I was um, listening the other day to uh, a rather controversial pastor from the U.S., but he said one phrase which I really like, and he said, he said, I'm sick of churches wanting to be PC and politically correct, when he said we need to be challenged to be BC, which is biblically correct. And he said, as long as we're biblically correct, he said, the rest kind of seem to fall into place as we stick to the Scriptures and what the Scriptures teach. But on ethical teachings and on how things are going to happen, we tend to kind of go with what might be pleasing to people rather than what the Scriptures say. And I think we just need to be careful to make sure that our our teachings and our preachings are are according to the Scriptures. So we just want to take a few moments and look through some of the Scriptures about the, the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, and about heaven and hell. And, and our final state as people. I want to challenge you, as I have the last several weeks, to write down several of the, uh, the references or the, uh, the scriptures that we go through because we don't, Tom just, just, um, just doesn't permit, can't even speak this morning, just can't permit to uh, allow us to, to be able to go through each of the scriptures in depth, and uh, hopefully we can go through these more uh, in the future. We want to talk, first of all, about the, uh, the return of Christ. Paul, when he's writing here to the church at Thessalonica, was writing to a church that were confused. The church, actually, that had started to argue about how things are going to happen and how things are going to work out. And, you see, they had followed Paul's teachings on... The, they had known that when Jesus returns, then those who believe in Him are going to, to be with Him. Uh, he's going to come in, in the air... He's going to, the the church, those believers in Jesus will will rise with him and go on to be in heaven. They knew this, uh, they knew this really well. But um, what happened is some of those believers started to die. And these first, these early church, these first Christians started to die. And um, people started going, well, what happens to them? We thought Jesus was going to return like in a few days or in a few months. And now all these believers are starting to, to die. What happens to them? And so Paul writes this letter in 1 Thessalonians. And he challenges them with this. And he says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, as he says. Those who have, who have passed away. Because, he said, they, they will not miss out on Christ's return. They have believed in Jesus Christ. And they will be with him uh, in this, uh, even before. But they will be with him as uh, the second coming Uh, they will rise as well. They will not miss out on uh, the glory uh, that is theirs in Christ Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18 talks a lot about this and says, Look, rest assured, uh, whether you're still living when Christ returns or whether you pass on before, you are with Jesus forever. You're in His loving presence because you have given your life uh, to Him. Because you have trusted Him, uh, He will not leave you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1-8 to starts talking about when Christ will return, it says, look, it's, it's going to be like a, a thief in the night. Like in the twinkling of an eye. When we least expect it, Christ will return. Now, it'll be a public return. as Here it says the Lord will come uh, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the clouds with the sound of the trumpet. And it'll be a, a public thing. But it says, look, you're not going to know when the day or the hour is going to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 to 8 again it says, It's just going to be sudden, like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye, when we least expect it. But this will, one thing that is unclear in the scripture is when it's going to take place. There are a lot of theories out there, a lot of teachings out there that kind of says, All right, the time is coming when it's going to take place. But no one knows that day or that hour. We do know with biblical certainty. That is coming. That Jesus is coming back. He's returning for His church. And we can rest assured that. And over and over we'll find in scriptures teachings that say, Jesus is coming, so church be ready. Jesus is coming, so keep on living out the gospel message. Keep on teaching about God's love. Leading people to Him because the day and the hour is coming when Christ will return. And those who have given their life to Him can go to be with Him. Now a lot of people through the years have tried to predict when Jesus is going to return. I mean, there's an example there, just a road sign that says, Save the Date, Return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. Well, he didn't return then, unfortunately for this group. And this is a group who constantly keeps trying to predict when Christ is going to return. I don't know if you remember, but uh, or if it was even popular in, uh, in Australia, but in 1989, Christ was supposed to return. And uh, we were told... Uh, the imminent return of Christ is going to be at a certain day and a certain time. Uh, when, in 1989, and uh, I was much younger then, and like, "Oh, well, I don't know." These are people who seem to to teach their stuff, and they they have worked it all out on these charts and graphs of how Christ is going to return. And so I remember being at our high school and standing out in the the football field with kind of most of the school, uh, kind of looking up, thinking. What's going to happen? When's Cross going to return? And the the countdown kind of continues. And some people were were kind of laughing and 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 mocking those who said that Cross would return at the time. And um, and some were probably celebrating that he hadn't returned because they weren't uh, in any state for him to return. They hadn't given their life to Cross. But the reality is, for a generation now, people have been trying to determine the date and the time. The Bible says no man knows the date of the time when Cross is going to return, but it will come suddenly on us. In fact, when we least expect it. Uh, the return of Christ uh, will will come upon us. There are some signs that the Bible gives us that that day and that um, that time are going closer. Matthew chapter twenty four talks about some signs that the the birth pains are starting to, to kick in, uh, and the time is coming when Christ is going uh, ch- to return. Matthew chapter twenty four says there will be room, there will be wars uh, in. Uh, there'll be wars in the earth. There'll be rumors of different wars and uh, rumors of of world powers getting together. There'll be famine uh, at different places around the world. Earthquakes uh, all announce uh, the birth pains and and the coming, uh, the beginning of the process of Christ's return. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at Matthew chapter 24, and I'll challenge you to do that during the week, you look at it and you kind of go, kind of sounds like today. Kind of sounds like the, 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 the wars and the rumors of wars, the earthquake, the desolation, all uh, uh, we, we see all the time at the moment on our, our television and the media. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27, again, talk about some signs of things that will happen before Christ's return. Talks about the temple uh, being rebuilt, but all, at times of trouble, and that there'll be wars and, and desolation. Matthew, again, chapter 24 says, when he does come, he will come in the sky with, with power and glory, with the sound of trumpets and with angels from one side of the sky to the other. Now, there are a lot of people who will say, oh, cross has already returned and you just missed out. Yeah? You just didn't know because it was so such a quiet thing. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible says when he comes, you'll know it. and All will know uh, because the... Uh, uh, the sky will open and Christ will return with a host of angels uh, with their trumpets. And, uh, and, and the, He will come in power and glory. Uh, the sky divided from one side to the other. In Matthew chapter 25, says, No one knows that day or the hour, but we should be expectant. We should be in hope of Christ's return. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Revelation, all tell the same thing. They, they mirror what Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 says, That no one knows that day or the time but we should be expectant. We should be ready as a church. We should not live in darkness, but in light. We should know that Christ is going to return exactly as He says He will. And uh, we need to be ready because that's the time when He takes uh, those who put their faith in Him uh, to be with Him in paradise. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. I love this passage. Jesus just ascended into heaven. And uh, His followers then are just kind of standing there looking like, all right, what's going to happen now? Because they knew Jesus is going to return someday, and, and Paul later teaches them this even more. But Jesus ascends into heaven. He's been walking with them, teaching them this is the risen Lord who's with them. He stands and, and he, he ascends into heaven, and they're just kind of standing there after He's gone and just kind of gazing up into heaven. And the angel says to them in, uh, in Acts 1.11, why are you standing here just looking up into heavens? The same Jesus who, uh, who has left you on this day will come again for you. So go out and and be the church and do the work of the church. Luke chapter 12 verse 35 to 40 says for us as a church that Christ is going to return. So watch and be ready. Watch out and be ready. Not to live in fear as the world is, is uncertain of what's going to come. The world is uncertain of when things are going to come. The church needs to be certain that Christ is going to return and to be ready to, to make sure that your heart and your life is right with God. To make sure that you're sharing that love and that grace with others uh, in your life. Romans, or sorry, one Thessalonians and two Thessalonians is written so that the people in Thessalonica would not be confused or misled by different teachings. But they would know that Jesus is returning. People had started to say, well, I'm crossed. I've returned and... Uh, I'm Jesus, just come and follow me. Some had said that Jesus wouldn't return at all. And so Paul writes these two letters to say Jesus will return and we as a church need to be ready. A little bit about how that's going to happen, none about when that's going to happen, but an assurance of God's word that Jesus, we have a a hope of Christ's return. And we mentioned a, a few weeks ago that hope in the biblical sense isn't a hope like, oh, I really hope that turns out but not really certainty, but hope in a biblical sense, uh, in, in, uh, in the Greek, especially as it's written in, is a steadfast assurance. You know that you know that you know that He's going to return. When we hope in Christ's return as a church, we're saying we know Christ is coming, com- is coming back. We know He's coming for us, for those who believe in Him. We know there's going to come a day when all of this suffering and all of this hardship will be over and we'll be with Jesus Christ in heaven uh, forevermore. We'll be in His loving presence with no more tears and no more sorrows and no more darkness and no more sin. What a glorious hope that we have as a church. A steadfast assurance that we can know, that we can know, that we can know that He is coming back. And we need to celebrate that as a church and long for that. Like, like a, um, a husband longs uh, to be married to his bride. He's still working and preparing or a couple are working and preparing for their wedding day. They're longing for that time. They know that that's coming. They know that they're working toward that and there's still work to do. They still long for that day. We should be ready. We should be anticipating. We should be hopeful. We also want to get into the fact that heaven is for real. A life with God beyond this physical life is real. So many people doubt it today. Even Christians Kind of go, you know what? Maybe we just all go to sleep. Maybe there is nothing beyond this life. Maybe death is in, and it closes the door for life for all of eternity. Well, not according to God's word. God's word is quite firm. That uh, that uh, is is firm. That our life with Him goes on for all of eternity, forever and forever and forever. We are with God. Long, long beyond this life. And we sing it in our songs, don't we? We sing 10,000 years and forevermore. We're going to continue to to sing His praises. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Forever and ever and ever. But we need to make sure that we not only sing about it, but that we, we believe it in our heart and that we know that this world, this life, is not all that there is to it. And thank goodness for that. Because this life, as wonderful as it can be at times, can be a struggle. And we see heartache and we see pain and we see the, the effects of sin all around our, our world and, and our community and in our families and in our lives. God promises us the freedom from sin is not only in, in this life, but in the life to come forever in His loving presence. We go to a place with no more fear and no more suffering and for a Christian, that's instantaneous. The moment this life ends, our life doesn't end. It just transitions. For the, the body is left behind, the earthly shell. But the spirit, our soul which we surrender to God, goes directly to be with God in heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 is a very famous passage where Paul writes to the church at Corinth about this. And he says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I know we see it on a lot of uh, kind of a program at a, a funeral or whatever. And sometimes we can kind of read through that and think, oh, that's lovely. Oh, it's more than lovely. It's a beautiful hope that we have as a church, an assurance that we have that this life is not in. This life is not all there is. To be absent from here is to be present with the Lord. The body stays here, but the, the spirit goes on to be with, he- with God in heaven. But the Bible also promises that... The heaven that we go to be with God in is not our our final state. But that someday, at the end of all time, when Christ returns, and uh, there's a time of, of great judgment, He will create a new heaven and new earth. And those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who have given their life to Him, will go to this place that He's prepared for us. A place where Revelation chapter 21, verse 18 to 21, describe it as a place where there are streets of gold. Gates of pearl, each gate being made of a single pearl, a river of life that flows down from the throne of God, a beautiful, unimaginable place. In fact, in fact, John here is trying, he's getting this vision of heaven in in Revelation chapter 21. He's getting this vision of what heaven's going to be like, and I think poor John is trying to give the best description of heaven he can. I think he's trying to use the most. Beautiful imagery he can come up with these gates, uh, streets of gold and gates of pearl, and, and the angels all around, and, and each person having uh, their, their mansion or the place that God has prepared for them. But I think, and again, this is my opinion. Okay, this isn't the biblical part. This is my opinion. I think heaven's going to be even greater than that. Now, I think, I think uh, streets of gold and gates of pearl are pretty amazing, but I think. Because God is limitless and man is, is so limited. I think poor John is trying to come up with the best words he can possibly think of to describe heaven. And this is about as good as it gets. And he's going, there are riches everywhere. There is glorious peace and security like you've never known. No more tears and no more heartache. God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more pain and no more suffering, no more sickness. He's like, this is as good as it gets. But I think it's even better than that. I think it's just what better than we could even imagine. Heaven is real. And it is prepared for those who give their life to Christ. Jesus himself says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I prepare that place, I'll come back. And I'll come and get you so that there uh, where I am, you may be also. You can enjoy this place of e- eternal rest. But we also must recognize the church... That just like heaven is real and is there for all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we must recognize that hell is a reality. Hell is real. Now I've heard preachers, pastors on, on television, on the internet, and I've heard churches say the same thing, or Christians say the same thing, and they'll say, well, surely heaven is real. Heaven is an amazing place and it's a wonderful place and we celebrate that any who put their faith in Jesus Christ will go there, but surely hell is not real. And I've heard preachers and, and Christians say, well, hell can't be real because a God of so much love and so much mercy could never allow a place like hell to exist. Why would He send people to hell? And I want to say, well, if you read your Bible, if you want to follow that scripturally, you can see God doesn't send anyone to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, the Bible says we are going to be eternally separated from God, we are going to a place called hell, a place of suffering and a place of torment, a place where we'll be forever away from God's presence. And God loves you so much that He knows you deserve that. He knows you are heading that way and He pours His own Son's life's blood out to pay the price for that sin so that you can have life. But it's a gift. It means you need to receive it. He doesn't force you to go to heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. Heaven is an amazing place. Yes, with, with those streets of gold, or even better. With gates of pearl, or even better. A place of, of eternal security, or even maybe even better than we can imagine. But God is not going to force you to go there. Because He loves you, He actually gives you a choice. It tears His heart out, it, it, it tears Him apart to know that they, some are suffering and some will never choose. God knows everything. And He knows those who are going to believe. He knows those who are going to put their trust in Him. And He knows those who are just going to say, Forget you, God, and they're going to go their own way. And it it tears His heart. But the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should have eternal life. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that anyone who believes in Him will not perish, will not go to the place of suffering, but can have eternal life. Any who believe in Him will be saved. But we need to recognize that hell is is for real. Revelation chapter 21, verse 15, says anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, anyone who's not given their life to God, as Revelation 21 describes, it says those uh, will be put into the lake of fire, separated from God for all of eternity. John chapter 3, verse 18, says anyone who does not believe is condemned already. Because they have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 verse 42 says, Those who do not trust in God will be thrown into the fire, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, just as John, I think, is describing some of the, the best things he could imagine about heaven. I think the gospel of Matthew here is describing some of the worst things physically they could think of. Worst things they could come up with words for it says there will be utter suffering, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think it's some of the worst that could describe, And unfortunately I think it's going to be even worse than that for those who don't put their faith in Christ. And we also need to recognize as the church that there's a day coming. The Bible says at the end of all time in which there will be a great final judgment. The Bible calls it the great throne judgment, in which Revelation chapter 20 talks specifically about, where it says any who lived in all of history, uh, the dead will arise and those who have put their faith in Christ, and that's when it says those who, if their bodies are out to sea, they'll come, the dust uh, will, will come. And those who have died, no matter the time, no matter their belief, those who have died or throughout all history or those who are still living, those will come before this great throne judgment, they'll come before God and will be judged. Not on how they've lived and not on what they've done, but this great judgment says, you'll be judged on what you've done with Jesus. And those who put their faith in Jesus will go into this new heaven and new earth, a place of no more suffering and no more tears and no more hardship. And those who have rejected Christ, those who have rejected God, will be thrown into the lake of fire with, uh, with Satan and all of his, his devils or his, his angels, his fallen angels, forever suffering away from God's presence. Now we need to make sure that we as a church, or as a church as a whole, and at lakes, aren't divided on these things. Now, one thing we are assured of in God's Word is Christ is returning. And our time on this earth is limited. No one knows the day of the hour on Christ is going to return, and no one knows the day of the hour when you're going to go and meet with Him. We don't know when our time is up. There's no doctor that can predict exactly what things are going to happen. I used to be a palliative care chaplain. And I remember this one man, his name was John. And he just wouldn't die. He just wouldn't go. The guy, he just, the doctors kept putting on palliative care, saying, you have less than three months to live. You need to get things in order. And he'd, he'd go on, he'd pray, and he'd call, contact all his family, and they'd bring him in. And then after six months, they'd have to take him off of palliative care, because he just kept on kicking. He just kept on going. And this guy, after a year and a half of being on palliative care, saying, you have less than three months, he decided, you know what, I'm going to get married. And he, uh, <laughs> he married someone else that was on palliative care. And uh, they just kept going. And they were, she actually uh, passed away about six months later. He went on for another year, almost a year and a half. And the doctor said, you should be gone. They're, physically, cancer has eaten up your body. And you should not be walking. And he's walking and he's talking and he's living. And he said, but my, my life is not in your hands. It's in God's. We're not going to live a moment longer, a moment less than God has prepared for us. And God has, has written out for us. But the reality is, we don't know if that's going to be at 23 or 93. We don't know when our, our our time is up. But we do know on the assurance of God's word that there is hope and there is there's. there's uh, there is there's hope for us in that we can give our lives to Christ and know that this life, beyond this life, is a place of eternal joy and love in the presence of God. Everyone has an opportunity to give their life to Christ. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian for 60 years or if you're a Christian for 60 seconds. Those who give their lives to Christ go on to be with Him forever. We need to make sure that the end of times or the stories about the end of times don't divide us as a church. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse one to ten, Paul challenges the church at Thessalonica about this, and he says, "Look, there's a lot of false teachings out there. There's a lot of apostasy, as it says, people who are falling away from the teachings of the church, and often uh, it's over things about uh, about uh, the rapture or uh, about the tribulation." Some churches have different views over when this is all going to take place. There are some who use the, the scriptural teachings uh, to teach that uh, when Christ returns, he will, he will come and bring the church to himself. And then there'll be uh, seven years of tribulation. They get this from, uh, especially from Daniel chapter 9. We talk about the seven years of, of tribulation that will come as Christ returns. And after these seven years, then Christ himself will, will rule on this earth for a thousand years and Satan will be bound. And this is all uh, all taught uh, according to our scriptures. And that, that Christ will, uh, will rule for a thousand years and that those who have already surrendered to Christ uh, before he returns will, uh, will rule with him for these thousand years. And there will be time for people to, uh, to still give their life to, to Christ during these thousand years and those who do at the great throne of judgment, great judgment throne, uh, will go to be in a new heaven and new earth, along with all other believers throughout all time. There are others who believe, which they call the first premillennial, and we think, uh, you know, I think all of this is, is very scriptural and very accurate. But post-millennials will think that um, the kingdom started, the kingdom of God started by evangelistic preaching close to a thousand years ago. And that's, We are already in that millennial rule. Christ's presence is here on the earth through the teachings of the church and the the preachings of the church. And so the great throne of judgment, uh, the the end of old time will be here soon. Still, those who give their life to Christ will will go on to be with God in the new heaven, new earth. And those who have not uh, will go to a place of eternal torment. Now, I mentioned a few uh, a while back my dad was what... There, there's So the first are called pre-millennials, the other are called post-millennials. Then there's amillennials or amillennials who say that there is no such thing as an earthly reign of God. There is no thousand millennial or a thousand years. That's all just symbolic. And then there are those like my dad who said that he's just a, a pan-millennialist that says it'll all pan out in the end. We'll all find out. He said, I'm not worried if it's premillennial or, or amillennial or post-millennial. He's a pan-millennial. says it'll all pan out in the end. We'll all find out. The, the challenge for the church... It is to stick with what we know, not theories that maybe this will happen, maybe this is going to work out in this way, and maybe this person's the an Antichrist, and maybe this is happening, but to stick with what the scriptures teach that Christ will return, that heaven is for real, hell is for real, and the choice is ours whether we choose life and hope and freedom or death and condemnation away from God. Christ offers life to any who believe in Him. Why are all these teachings important for the church? First of all, to give us comfort. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Christ will return, and I'm telling you all this so that you be encouraged as a church, so that you be comforted by these words, to know Christ will return, and any who believe in Him will go to be with Him in heaven. It's also written for us, not only for our comfort, but for our encouragement. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great passage in which Uh, Jesus is uh, The Apostle Paul is writing about Jesus and saying, we know that Jesus did die for our sins. And God did rise Him from the grave. And He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is victorious. And we serve a risen Lord. Therefore, be challenged to go out as a church and to keep preaching and teaching about what God has done for us. Keep telling others the hope that we have in Christ. The freedom that we have in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, says, Christ died for our sins. He rose again and is coming again for us, for all who trust in Him. So therefore, be encouraged. Be challenged to keep on keeping on. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and 30, to 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. is all about waiting. Not waiting as in, uh, I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. I like to be on time and... Uh, those who aren't on time should be on time, I think. I, I just think, you know, I, I don't like sitting around and waiting on people. And um, not if I, I'm not going to try to look at anyone if I've had to sit around and wait on you or anything. But, um, you know, I, I, if, if people say, oh, look, I'll meet you at 2 o'clock. I don't want to be sitting there at 2.15 just going, oh, yeah, okay, what are we doing? You know, it's like I, I'm always there early. My, my mom and dad told me that you'd be, be early and waiting. I don't like sitting around and waiting. Now, this is a challenge if you've ever worked with a, a, a multicultural church. A lot of different cultures, time is just irrelevant. And so they might say, meet you at 2 o'clock. They might be there at 3. might be there at 3.30. They might be there at 1.30. It doesn't matter. Somewhere around the afternoon is all good. And you can, um, you can wait and wait and wait, and that's all fine. You have to kind of adjust to that. But for me, waiting the idea of waiting is going, oh, okay, sitting around. What do I do now? That's not the sort of waiting it talks about here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and 30. It says, We should be anticipating, longing for Christ's return, like the husband longs for, to be with his bride. He longs for that wedding day and for all of that to come to completion, but to keep working at all the things that need to be done along the way. Keep on setting out what we need to be doing and sharing God's love with others. Keep on lifting him up. Keep on living out that love and working for the day when Christ is going to return. So, church, we need to be celebrating the life that God has for us and also being looking forward to the day when He returns. But focus on each living out each day as if it were our last. Now, some idea, I think the world idea of living each day as if it were our last is just kind of one big party. Let's go out and let's live however we want. The Bible's idea of living each day as if it were our last is saying live each day as if to lead people to God. Live each day forgiving one another, encouraging each other in the ways of God. As today may be your last. Today may be the day when Christ returns and uh, we need to be living in a way to lead everyone we can to the big party, to the big celebration in heaven. An eternity of joy and peace in God's loving arms. An eternity of... For those who believe in Jesus' Christ, But there's also an eternity of suffering forever away from God's presence. The choice is everyone's. But we need to let people know the reality that's out there. The reality that they're heading for and the grace and the mercy that's in our loving God for any who will put their faith in Him. For God, as I said, is not willing that any should perish but have eternal life. The choice is up to you. The choice is... It's up to others. And we need to share the truth of God's grace and mercy with everyone in our lives. Let's just pray. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for your amazing love for us. And that you know us while we're yet sinners, God. You send your son to die for us. You love us even though we've fallen. Even though we sin So much, God, that you've given your own son to pay the price for us so that we could have life. And freedom and hope. Thank you, God, for the assurance that we have in you. That we can know, that we can know, that we can know that everyone who gives their life to you and puts their faith in you has life and hope and freedom for all of eternity. God, help us, though, to continue to share your message of grace and hope with our world, our community, with our friends and family. Let them know of, yes, the reality of sin And and the destruction of this life, but uh, how that leads to to hell, to separation from you for all of eternity. But God, your grace, your grace is so amazing. Your mercy, God, is there for any who choose to believe in you, put their hope and faith in you. And you are the only one, the only way to salvation, the only one, God, to put our hope in. God, we thank you for the reality is that you're coming again. And God, we know that that's soon. We've seen the, t- the, the, we've seen the signs, God, in, in the scriptures from, from Daniel and Matthew and 1 Thessalonians. God, we know the, the things that are going to take place ahead of time. And we see so many of these things taking place throughout church history. We see so much of these things, God, falling into place in our present time. And God, we know that although we don't know the day or the hour, God, we know that it's sin. And we know that you'll come soon. And God, help us to be ready. Help us, God, in our own lives to be ready. But God, help us to be expectant, to be hopeful as your church and to be living out your love and grace in our community, sharing, God, with others the hope that they can have in you, the peace that they can have in you, the life, eternal life in your loving presence they can have with you. Help us, God, to lift you up, to be champions of you in our community, to live out your word with scriptural accuracy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.